Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for Friday, December 13th of 2019. I'm Ryan Wilson, Penguins writer for HockeyBuzz.com. I'm Cameron Welsh from HockeyHits.com. Welcome back. This week on the podcast, we are going to talk a little bit about the coaching environment in the NHL and how it, um, when it rains, it pours. Uh, since the Mike Babcock thing, we've had the Bill Peters thing. Now we got a Jim Montgomery thing. We have a Peter DeBoer thing, but that it does not fall in, in line with the, <laughs> the other ones, at least to our best of our knowledge yet. And talk a little bit about the uh, Buffalo Sabres because they have uh, probably the hottest player in the league, Jack Eichel. And we'll uh, talk some, some Penguins. Uh, not a lot has changed since the last time we talked about the Penguins, but uh, they have an opponent tomorrow, the Kings. I think there's a interesting player of note that we will talk about, and no, it is not Ilya Kovalchuk. Um, <laughs> so we're going to lead off with the coaching stuff. Um, you know, we don't have to do too much with Mike Babcock and Bill Peters. Everybody listening right now is pretty well versed in what has gone on there. But the latest uh, well, second latest firing, Jim Montgomery, happened pretty quick and out of nowhere. And we still don't really know what happened other than he, he fucked up somewhere. It's, it's it's really... What's going on, I suppose, is probably the easiest question I could ask because this like the Dallas one is so weird. They've been so hot and cold all season. And then all of a sudden their coach gets fired under the same sort of Bill Petersy kind of cloud. And because they're keeping it all locked up, there's just going to be so many things flying around. It's eventually going to leak out, and it's not going to be good for everybody involved. No, it's it, it's obviously not a good thing. It might, in hindsight, turn out to... Be nothing. Be Well, we, I guess that's on the table, too. Who knows? Um it could possibly look like Dallas actually did something good and got in front of it. Maybe they don't get in front hey, of it without what's, the other what's, stuff. But what's being good by getting in front of it? Like, what's the definition of being in front of it? Like, finding out that he did something wrong and just cut his ass? They they or... were notified Sunday. I think they made the decision to get rid of him Monday, and by Tuesday they had a press conference. Okay, that's what you call... Getting in front of it and being proactive and I mean they got the stuff. information and within two days had, had action. On it. it wasn't one of those. Oh shit! Look at everything going down. We've kind of been sitting on this. Let's let's That's, do this before somebody that notices. Is you, that is Usain Bolt like speed for this league for a team to react so quickly. That's, and I and I don't know if impressive. they do without the other stuff, but you know correct. That just goes to show what. Um, it, I mean, it's pathetic that we're, I'm not applauding this too much because it is basic decency in a sport that has a terrible culture and the terrible culture is on display for all right now. People that are casual or don't consume a lot of NHL news going to look at this and be like, Jesus, that doesn't sound like something I want to get interested in. All that my kids get involved. Well, money, money alone might be a good factor for that one. But yes, of course, even if you had the money, be like, yeah, this culture sucks, especially if you um, are not white. So, uh, yeah, 
seems to run true on quite a few things. Um, Hockey is not for everyone, and I've said that for a very long time. And they do a very bad job with all of this. Um, I'm not saying that the firings for this nature have been bad for the sport because those people should be removed. But, you know, this isn't like, what, hooray. It's like, oh, damn, that, we fucked up. One thing up. that is difficult at the moment for every like every organization in the sport, so this is like from the NHL all the way down to the bottom, there isn't really a good way to fix this currently unless it's reactionary. Like, you, you legitimately have to wait for somebody to put their hand up and say, I was abused. Theoretically, you then have to go and look at it and then find out that the accusation was true and then react to the, you know, then make a decision on, on those facts that you found out until it you, you get a completely different... Ge- so right now, you'd probably say we've got a completely different generation of NHL players that are in the league. They take crap from no coach and they make sure they look out for themselves. Probably agree with that? I think it's trended that way, yeah. I still think right. there are, are probably players that abide by... Um, you team know. rule, team culture? Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I think it's getting there. Um, right. I do think the enablers are on notice now. That's sort of my point. Until the enablers are flushed out, everything that happens is going to be reactionary. It's really hard to put in proactive policy when more than half of the group that you're around is sort of covering it up. So until that sort of gets flushed out of the system... but. It's a, it's a good start. Like, you, you look at... This, this this had to happen at some point. What's great is that pretty much all the players backed up the players that have put their hand up and said, hey, I was treated like this. Um, and, and that's a good thing. And, and you need that support. And it's a good point, and, it, and it's going to definitely get brought up later because I'm going to talk about an article on The Athletic that I found issue with... Um, that when players are bad to players, there's a coach to report that to. Well, what happens when the coach is the problem? Who do you report that to? We theoretically have to go to the GM, and that's going above the chain of command, and that all becomes very... You, and, and thus the whole... Problem. Tons of culture issues in this sport <laughs> where they protect each other. Um, I believe the Red Wings did do that. Didn't the team leaders go to Holland and Holland basically told them to piss off? Yep, pretty much. So that's problematic. Um, I'm not rooting for coaches to be fired because they've been abusing players. I'd rather there not be the abuse and there not be a lot (laughs) of... There's the easy... (laughs) Correct. The ones that (laughs) happened, I want out. And hopefully that is what's going down right now. Um, the the other coaching yeah. thing was Peter DeBoer, who that 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 is um, merit based. Uh, well, you can it falls under the umbrella of merit based. Whether or not he was actually the problem, I'm not totally sold on. Uh, but that is a coaching. Imagine being fired in this climate right now. How sad is it that everybody's like, no, 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 he didn't do anything wrong like that. Yeah, which which does show you that the climate has definitely shifted. Like it does show you that the focus right now is literally on how management, which is, I include general managers in the whole con- concept of this, are treating their their staff. They are not cattle. They are human beings. They are supposed to be treated 
like humans. And it's one of those things where you'd, you have animal rights people going out saying, oh, you can't treat animals like that either. Well, yeah, that's true. But these are human beings that you shouldn't hit or it's just nuts. <laughs> no, no, Peter P- Peter wasn't punching his players or using the N-word. He, he, he just sucked at his job. <laughs> okay, we can deal with that one. No, but, but I don't... I say that in jest. I don't think he necessarily sucked at his job. Obviously, all coaches have a, a shelf, shelf life, life, but man, it's tough to overlook the goaltending in the last two years with his case. True. So obviously, general manager, lot to do with that. But they do have some poor high this, danger. This this year numbers. they do. They do. Yeah. For sure. And and I suppose it's it's interesting where you get there. and you, you read that Wilson was like, there was just this vibe in the room that said they had checked out. And at that point, you would go, well, the numbers were probably telling you that a month ago. Why hang on for this length of time? Maybe the vibe in the room that they're checked out is because they're old and tired. That could be a large part of it, too. <laughs> it's an aging team. The cliff was always going to be somewhere, not in the too distant future. So you might have some aging curve things happening. The goaltending is just putrid. I don't care what the high danger chances are to to an extent. They're below 900 again. Yeah, they're in trouble. And you can't – I don't know who's who's the best team with all the expected goals. I'd have to actually look that up right now. I know Carolina was. I know the Penguins are way up there. Um, Penguins are getting Tristan Jari playing great, even though Matt Murray isn't. The Sharks are getting neither. Yeah, that, it's, if somebody can't take the baton when one's out, when one's playing poorly, it does make it very difficult when your goaltenders just can't make basics. La- last year should have been the Sharks' year to go to the final again. Have Joe well, Thornton particularly... go into Boston and lift a cup. Particularly when um, they... They get away with murder in the first round and knock out a, a, a highly touted cup contender. Yeah, they got fortunate with that call and whatnot, but you know, it was there for the taking in the goaltending. Yeah. Um, that Usually, was... when things like that happen, you get that little magic dust and it rolls you through. You know what I mean? They, um, you know, they're running out of, and maybe already have run out of chances. Vlasic is yeah. terrible now. He, he's one of those guys that he cannot play the minutes anymore, and he makes a good chunk of change for quite a while. Brent Burns, surprisingly, not really all that great, and he signed for an eternity. Eric Carlson's been not, I, I, I don't know, is he completely healthy yet? Will he ever no, be I, again? He, if this season keeps going the way it does, they need to just shelve him. Put him on the shelf, just get him healthy, and, and go for the next year. But then you go, well, there's another problem. They don't have another year to. Yeah, they can't. Like, it's not yeah. like we got five years here. Sacrifice Carlson for the one. The the back end of that Carlson contract, they've already written off. This is the time that they they paid for. Yeah. Yeah. So Ottawa must feel good from getting out underneath that. Seriously. Well. Because of that injury, like you wouldn't know whether he'd have that injury or not in Ottawa, but. I mean, they threw him away for pennies on the dollar, but 
you, I don't think Ottawa would want a part of the contract that well, they didn't want a part of the contract that he signed. I don't think they want a part of league minimum contracts. <laughs> well, yeah, no, that's a different. That's Why can't different they play idea. for sixty grand? They should be lucky to play in this league. <laughs> Probably a bad team example out of any of them <laughs> for money yeah, that stuff, a, but you know, point. and the Sharks don't score as many goals anymore to make up for the goaltending. So they got a lot of uh, rough things. And if I read correctly on Twitter today, um, I think there's a athletic model i didn't get to click on the article i think it would be dom lecision's um model if i had to wager i guess that has the sharks at seven percent for the playoffs this year it's not out of the question but it's tough um that's not where they wanted to be uh, maybe a coaching change helps but bob bugner certainly not who i would the guy that Got crappy goaltending in Florida. It's going to be the guy to get crappy goaltending in San Jose, probably. So yeah, it's, yeah. I don't. I can't see the changes. Yeah. <laughs> so you know that was um, you know those are the coaches coaches that have uh, been let go to this point. Um. So with this topic, um, Justin Bourne of the Athletic had a article published yesterday maybe how much physical contact between a coach and his pro player is too much um i don't know i mean i don't think this is a hard question i mean putting your hand maliciously on anybody like the same rules that you'd have with students in a classroom yeah it's not complicated and you know, Justin comes from a father who won four Stanley Cups. He played Division One hockey himself. There's there's that, you know, old-school hockey pedigree, and I think maybe his upbringing is a little clouded, in my opinion, with kind of hockey culture versus, um, like, he likes to put the hat on of a reasonable takist within hockey culture, but... I don't know. I think hockey culture sucks, to be honest. And I I don't like um, some things in this article. Um, and coming from someone who, and this is one of his former tweets, a real downer with all post-hockey careers is that on days you feel like decking somebody, there's not really an outlet. In hockey, you just, you know, deck someone in practice, accuse them of not practicing hard enough when... They get mad, bask in the coach's acclaim, and feel better. Jesus I don't, Christ. I, I don't know if he's the, the right guy to write this article. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And there's certainly going to be people that, and I, if you read his comments of his article, there are people that really enjoyed his article. Thought he, I don't think every point he makes in the article is necessarily... Um, horrible but there are some in here that i just as an educator and a coach that teaches in an academic scholastic sports where academics come first um quite frankly i think i have a better handle on these things than than maybe he would and i don't think because you're professional and make money and you're older i don't think these standards should really change all that much and I don't no. think because it's a contact sport it should make a damn bit of difference 
what happens on the bench. The contact belongs on the on the ice or on the field. That should not translate at all between an educator and a student because that is what coaching is. You are an educator. Yep. You're at least at at a minimum you're a facilitator of talent. At a minimum. So I thought there was a really nice Twitter thread on this. Uh, HBurrito92, uh, Hannah, and she went through a lot of um, the things in the article, and I just wanted to give her credit because I, I find myself agreeing with a lot. Uh, her first part is, first, we should define physical contact. We aren't talking about pats on the shoulder or showing guys how to get in position on the ice. We're talking about kicking, hitting, and shoving players. We're talking about, capital letters, abusive behavior. And Sink and Bourne said, well, yeah, youth hockey, you don't do that. And it's like saying kids shouldn't have to go through physical abuse from coaches is a no shit. And like <laughs> I just said, it should be the same for adults. Getting paid for the sport should not be part of this dynamic at all. Your hand shouldn't go on somebody just because you're older or it's a contact sport. Um yeah, why, why is it? Why is it people think the rules of society should change once you get into a sporting arena? Do you know what I mean? Like, at what point is there any dynamic in a one-on-one relationship where violence is the solution to a disagreement? And I think I've, we've said on this podcast before, if that's your go-to, maybe that's just a sign you're really terrible at your job. Yeah, like that's that shouldn't even be the last resort sort of situation. Like that shouldn't be a decision that that you go. This is the solution to this disagreement I'm having with this player. Um, Bourne also claims everyone has lingering resentment from their jobs, and it totally ignores the fact that those resentments come from poor treatment. Um, perhaps I'm lucky, but I literally don't have these resentments about my current job. Um, because you know what? When you have a proper working environment, why would there be resentment? Yeah. Clean up the working environment. Clean up the resentment. Um, I just... Uh, I don't know. I don't... Um, and Hannah says, the only jobs I have resentment for were the ones where I was taken advantage of or emotionally abused and gaslit. Maybe think about that a little bit, Justin. Um so, um, because I've it, played, I've played sport to a reasonably high level in a very blokey, masculine culture, and not once have I seen any of my coaches physically abuse any of the players I played with, and I played under some really negatively framed coaches that was how they coached you know what i mean like they tried to knock you down to make you build yourself up sort of thing never once did i see a coach come out and physically shake like just at a minimum physically shake a player would point the finger and 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 get quite angry at them but would never actually physically touch a player i just i can't see a point where that's the decision you know i that's the bit that i can't get my noggin around you are right if you get to the point where you feel like the only way you can communicate with that player is to physically abuse them, then you've lost you've lost that player before that point. And this leads into, I think, his worst 
passage from the article. He says, anyone weighing in on this topic with, imagine if I did that at my job, or a variation of that, is immediately a person to be tuned out. Nothing of value follows. Well, that's laughable, and I think it shows his background of growing up in his hockey culture and being a product of it. He yep. puts on the C, I'm reasonable hat, but it's not reasonable at all. Um, why should playing hockey open you up to physical and emotional abuse from a coach? If anything, his take should be the thing that isn't valued here. I mean, how inept and weak do you have to be to resort to these tactics? How not grounded in reality do you have to be to think hockey's the special and unique place where there are parameters that make it acceptable? And I never considered any of this stuff with my high school players, and it's fucking stupid to make the leap that I would magically consider putting my hands on players because they were older and making money. I think that's the most tone deaf and the worst passage of that article because um, it shouldn't matter the job. I mean, you think because there's body checks on the ice that that should change the dynamic between educator and student? Yeah, absolutely not. And the issue you've got is these coaches uh, are even more steeped in this type of culture because they've been in it for longer than the players. So it's that whole, well, it happened to me, so it can happen to you, which is bizarre because, you know, Bill Peters was considered a bit of a forward thinker in regards to the the on-the-ice kind of stuff, but look at the way his his culture permeates. You know, I was a bit surprised when he got the arse from Carolina but quite clearly there was a good reason for him getting the arse because the players had switched, turned, tuned him out because, like, you can't treat us like this. I just think that the idea that hockey, professional hockey, should have a different set of standards than someone who works at the office. Like, why, why should physical contact between boss and employee be a thing? But why should it change once you turn 18 as well? And 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 um, Hannah makes that point of, aren't there 18 and 19-year-olds playing professional hockey? Aren't they still kids to a certain extent? Yeah. And particularly if you've grown up in a sporting environment, there's so much of real life that you get sheltered from. And I always find that the further along you go in the professional system the longer it takes you to mature into a full adult because you just don't have life experiences. And that's literally because your job is so self-consuming, you don't get to go and make the same sorts of errors that that you do as an adult in regards to relationships, pure money decision-making and all that kind of stuff. You do get some egregious examples of that every time with elite-level athletes, but it just takes you longer to develop as a person. And... um. I just, yeah, it's just nuts that as soon as you become an adult, all of a sudden this behavior is okay. I don't get the logic it's behind not. that. It's, it's, it's not. So, and I think, you know, I've coached high school seniors that are older than some of the NHL players. Oh, yeah, good point. So, I mean, <laughs> like, there's a, there is a mild crossover there. Um and again, Hannah, at this point, was one that I, I mentioned earlier with the the Babcock-Holland um, thing. 
Uh, we should not compare on-ice physicality in coaches to bringing unwanted and unwarranted aggressive contact with a player. Teammate on teammate is between people at the same level and can be reported to a coach if it gets bad. Coach on player can't be reported to a coach, and as we've seen, can't be reported to the boss. Because some of these bosses are in lockstep with... Ron Francis gave Bill Peters an extension. Yeah. After knowing this stuff, so I I have no idea how Seattle, did you, like what kind of you're a new franchise, right? You look at how well Vegas created their environment with their fans and all that kind of stuff. How do you go in and say this general manager is the right person to set up this franchise with that asterisk across his name right now? Yeah, I don't it... I. I, I don't disagree with the original hire, but now that stuff is coming out. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes. And in hindsight, it's very easy. And for us, it's very easy because, we, you know, Francis has been laying down the groundwork for all of the staff that work underneath him and stuff. If you get there and give him the flick, the next person that comes in either has to stick with the staff that aren't his or start again. And think about how expensive that would be in regards to all the contracts that have to terminate. Like, I think they actually know the analytic people were there before him. I think they helped select him. So I think you, I don't think they would change um, their more so, more so the mission statement, so to speak. But, yeah, oh, it's just it's a mess. It, it is a complete mess, and I don't uh, envy being uh, Seattle right now, trying to work their way through this. All right. I'm going to work my way through the final little few things I have with this. I know it's not the funnest topic in the world, but I felt strongly enough to to bring it up. So, Uh, From Bourne, it's worthwhile to remember just how different the world of professional contact sports is from the rest of society. Um, And quite frankly, as, as Hannah says, those differences should extend to the field of play and no further. There's no reason for them to, in saying otherwise, is just making excuses for the sake of that's the way things have always been. Well said. And, you know, again, the article's an example of how ingrained um, the harmful parts of this hockey culture are. Uh, Players do not have the same agency or authority as coaches. Uh, They don't have the same protections from the front offices. Uh, Their jobs could be on the line if they reacted to their coach. I understand that professional sports have a very different workplace, but that doesn't mean that workplace should be a space where people in power can take advantage of the people they have power over. Full fucking stop. So I thought Hannah did a wonderful job with that thread, and I was very happy to share her thoughts on this podcast. Uh, To Justin Bourne, um, shit article. (laughs) I know he probably meant well. I know it wasn't malicious and uh, by intent. Um, I just think it's one of those things. He's too ingrained to know what it looks like from from the outside, and you know, he's come from a place of good faith, right? Like he hasn't got there to try and gaslight. So it's. Not I don't like think got... so. Uh, like that wasn't my first take. <laughs> that doesn't. That doesn't seem to be how he writes. Do you know what I mean? Like that. That's not so for me. It's like that's how he perceives the environment, and and that's absolutely fine. I just that his perception of that environment is why it's going to take so long for it to change and be better. Yeah, because he's played and, off as like the level-headed 
approach person correct in 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 his spot in the profession and you know i know it sounds like um took him to task pretty hard there um but i think it's a really important topic and i think it really missed the missed the boat but the whole article explains why he missed the boat correct so i wanted to throw my um two cents in i wanted to share hannah's thoughts i think i have a different i'm coming from a different place as an educator who is also an educator while coaching hockey i might not have played at the same level as justin did but i did play division three uh, my dad's not a four-time stanley cup champion he, wor- he worked at kodak um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think I played at a high enough level and all of my coaches growing up were former Rochester Americans. So I don't think I'm too far off understanding a lot of this. And I just um, find myself disagreeing a lot with how it was said, um, even if it came from a, a good intended place. Which which is perfectly fine. If he was trying to gaslight, that's when I would have got angry. You know, like, what the hell are you trying to do, man? This is not helping. Whereas... I think this helps. It generates a conversation, like a legitimate conversation, and it's something that you can you can discuss and, and try and put some nuance to, which is what he was attempting to do. Uh, just you and I definitely don't agree with with what he had. I have put a link to the article and a link to the thread in the show notes of the episode. So if you want to go through and have a read of everything that was there, um, it's there for everybody to have a read. Today's show is sponsored by, yep, you guessed it, The Athletic, a subscription-based sports news site for real fans. Through in-depth coverage by local writers on every team in your city, uh, and for Penguins fans, that includes Josh Joey, Jesse Marshall, Sean Gentilly, and Michael's personal biographer, Rob Rossi. The Athletic also has a stable of writers to make numbers digestible and relatable to what happens on the ice. The Athletic is setting a new standards for sports news. There are no ads, pop-ups, or clickbait. Just great sports writing that tells the story behind the story. Get exclusive player profiles, Rob Rossi, uh, team power rankings, and fantasy sports insights you won't find anywhere else. Each subscriber gets a personalized feed of stories, live writer Q&As, podcasts, and more. Just download the Athletic app, pick your favorite teams, and the Athletic will begin surfacing all the latest and greatest players and storylines that matter to you. Are you ready to get started? For 40% off your yearly subscription to Athletic, go to theathletic.com slash hockeyhurts. That's athletic.com slash hockeyhurts. Now, mine just resubscribed. So if you can go and get this and get 40% off, I would recommend you do it because 40% is quite good. And you guys don't have to deal with any conversion rates. Just remember, guys, these guys have got stories with substance. Quality, in-depth content that goes beyond the box score. Exclusive content, good analysis with advanced stats, in-depth analysis and insights. Uh, Just remember they have exclusive stories from their sports writers. Best thing, though, it's clutter-free. No pop-up ads. No autoplay video. You get control of what you're doing. That's pretty much all you can ask for. Just remember, guys, for 40% off for your yearly subscription to The Athletic, go to theathletic.com slash hockeyhurts. That's theathletic.com slash hockeyhurts. Don't forget the the at the end. And uh, back to regular scheduled programming.
moving along. First year coach, sticking on coaches' themes, Ralph Kruger, Buffalo Sabres. Probably not going to talk too much about Ralph, but uh, Jack Eichel, Jesus Christ, he is freaking on fire. <laughs> it's good to see. Yeah, it's really cool to see uh, living here. Uh, people pretty pretty pumped. Um, you know, the wins and losses, obviously the Sabres fans are pretty starved for success from a team standpoint. But, you know, haven't had too many times where they get this kind of uh, – Star power over the years. It's been a been a while. Cause even Danny Briere and Chris Drury and Vanek, when those things were going strong, it wasn't like I don't personally believe it's to the same level as Jack Eichel's um, talent is way higher in my opinion. Yep. And, and he's using that talent right now to his max ability, and he's on a he's on what he's on a heater and. Every night, you know, something to watch with him, his zone entries and the way he manipulates time and space, his shot's amazing. Uh, just um, it's it's fun to watch, not just Eichel, but if a McDavid or anybody else, uh, when they're on, that's why you show up, pay the money, watch the games. And right now he's, he's motoring. I, I find it interesting how different him and McDavid are in regards to how they do what they do. McDavid is just pure speed, right? It, it, it's just ridiculously almost impossible to catch kind of thing. And then to do the things he does with his hands at pace is, is amazing. You are right about Eichel. He, he creates time and space with his edge work and his ability to go sideways in the zone at speed and then generate angles. And I, I, find, I find that so much fun to watch. I have no idea. There is a dog barking. I know you can probably hear it. I can't. <laughs> I don't own a dog. Well, someone's coming in to have a listen. Yeah. So, I don't know. Must be a neighborhood dog. But, uh, sorry. Wasn't uh, wasn't in the plans today, but, you know. Sorry. <laughs> uh, speaking of dogs, Zach Bogosian. He uh, he apparently has asked for a trade, and you know what? It's one of those like, oh, okay, good. <laughs> that helps. Do you um, want anything back or just the space? No, want anything back? He's he's bad. He's been bad I forever. Know. He's injured. Why I asked the question? Um, I'm a little disappointed with Jason Botterill in the fact that he has like a thousand right-handed defensemen, and just has done nothing with any of it. And at the head of the list is obviously Ristolainen, who they're still playing like a number one. Um, I don't know what the market is for him anymore. Uh, I just, I really felt like Botterill in the summer, in the beginning of this season, did a really nice job acquiring Montour, Miller, Yokoharju um, as a nice... Um, slate of defenders on the right side. Like how many, how many you know, you none need? of them are high end, but that's a solid right side group. A lot of teams struggle with their right side. Uh, I think right-handed defensemen are some of the tougher ones to uh, track down. So um, keeping Ristolainen around uh, is, is strange. 
Uh, Bogosian is finally back, but he's asked for a trade. They're healthy scratching him. Uh, he has be shocked if there was a, a market there. But they got to... They got to do something. Middle stats uh, totally underwhelming. He's still like super young. He might be like twenty, twenty-one at the most. He needs to come here to Rochester and figure some things out. Um, being a college player, fortunately, he's not bound by that CHL transfer agreement, and as a result, they should take advantage of that because they need guys like him to step up and 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 be contributors. Maybe not. Um, huge contributors, but he's been a net negative. He he doesn't produce offense. His his underlying numbers aren't good. Are, are they playing him? Are they playing him like in the top six, or is he? Are they playing him as a third line center, or are they playing him on the wing? Like I haven't Every, watched enough. Everything. Oh Jesus! Uh, including a healthy scratch the other day, so he's he's been uh, there as well, and. You know, it's not just Bottero, Tim Murray as well. The number eight overall pick has not been kind to them. Ristolainen, <laughs> Alex Nylander, Casey Middlestat. And, you know, eight's not a guarantee, but you get three eights. You'd like one, one of them to, yeah. to, to do something. Um, and they, they just haven't gotten it. They have a really tough schedule this month and upcoming. Uh, they've they've won the last two games, including um, Nashville the other night. Eichel scored twice, and that's really good. They need they need desperately need to keep keep putting points on to the standings because that hot start they had they totally <laughs> blew it just like they did last year. Yeah, but this year's different. They've recovered. Last year it was just and a ridiculous tailspin. I don't agree with everything maybe Kruger's doing, but um, he's he's a much better coach than Phil Housley was. And a lot of this has been done without Darlene. He finally made his return. He hasn't had a great year, um, but I I'm hard pressed to think that like that's going to be a all year old, problem yeah. or oh my god he's going to be a bust and it's like nah. Whatever was happening, um, you can you get the sense that he he has to be better. His, he's too good to not be better. Yeah, so. you know it, it it feels that way as well. And you always hear about defensemen, particularly young ones, going through rough patches, and then the good ones come out of it better than they were before they hit the rough patch. So if you're Buffalo, I wouldn't be worrying too much about him right now. Yeah, exactly. And um, you know, goaltending's been kind of average, which you can live with. It's not the Sharks. <laughs> They're not the bar you want to try and get above, though. <laughs> average is what you want. You are right. You've always said that league average, and if you don't throw money at the position, you can fill the put, rest put of the it roster. This way. If you're saving money on goaltending. And your roster construction is proper. Average is fine. It's when you're missing some of the other parts. Yeah. You need goaltending to really carry you in a way um, that can, you know, really drive you into the playoffs when you don't deserve it, and it can sink you um, when you do. 
Ah, goaltending. It's a pain in the ass. It's such a shit show. <laughs> just just look at the, the next team we're talking about, the, the Penguins. Matt Murray, two-time cup champion. Um, December to April last year, fantastic. So it's not like he just did the whole cup thing and then went away. He had a marvelous regular season once he got over his uh, lower body injury last year and came back in either late November or early December. Uh, this year has not been good. He's been bad. It's a good thing somebody came around to bail him out. Yeah, and it wasn't Casey DeSmith, Tristan Jari, who going to be completely transparent. I was fine with them trading him as late as September. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not going to lie and say I saw it coming. <laughs> uh, Shero drafted him in the second round a while back. He um, super athletic, super talented, plays the puck well. Oh, very Always an intriguing prospect. Had a very good junior year where I think he carried the Edmonton team to the Memorial Cup, if I'm not mistaken. So a little bit of pedigree there. Wasn't really doing all that great in the AHL. It was only, I think, because of the contract status of both DeSmith and Jari, he got the nod. Because on merit, DeSmith was a good backup last year, but he could pass through without waivers, and Jari at this stage could not. And uh, it really hit Or no, wait, I'm I'm not totally correct on that. DeSmith had to go through waivers, but they were more willing to lose him than Jari. Yeah, and the thing that's interesting about that is DeSmith's, after the initial shock and having a pretty bad start to the year, um, they've got two tradable assets as their backups right now, which is handy for Pittsburgh. Backups seem to be uh, a required commodity for a few teams that are, are not winning games when their starters are not playing. Mm-hmm. Tough to... Tough to complain about Tristan Chari, though. Three shutouts in the last four games. Set the team record for consecutive shutout minutes. Not that I find that is a, like a telling uh, statistic of how good maybe a goalie is, but impressive nonetheless. Um, that You can't ask for much more than a goalie than, hey, don't allow any goals. Okay, I'll do it for the longest <laughs> goalie in, in team history, uh, which... Um, you know, the Penguins haven't had, like, a lustrous run of goaltending in their uh, franchise. Flurry, um, very up and down, so I, I'm not very surprised that he does not have it. Um, they have had some much goalies like, who have had some ridiculously hot stretches. Like, you think about... Yes, correct. Hedberg and, and guys like that that came out of absolutely nowhere... And we're just hot right from the get-go. You would expect maybe a couple of shutouts in a row there, but nope. Um, I kind of liked who had it. Uh, Thomas Vokun, he was he was really good for the Penguins, and that blood clot really uh, was disappointing. I was, I was looking forward to seeing him battle for the number one gig coming off of the 2013 playoffs, and it just wasn't to be. Um, he is... Such an underrated Career goaltender. Yeah. And you throw in even one Stanley Cup, if you threw him on like a really good team, and we'd be talking more about his career. And unfortunately, he played for the Panthers and the early Predators. 
and and kept them in a lot of games. They may have lost, but they didn't get destroyed. And that's why goalie wins are so lame because he was really good in bad situations, and the team success. Unfortunately, you know you can only do so much. Uh, look at Jari just last night. Yeah, the Penguins played pretty good defensively, but if he doesn't have a shutout, they they literally only scored one goal and it was in overtime. Kind of feel for Corpostello in that situation because it's the it's the exact same thing. Yeah, well, it, especially for him because he he stopped like thirty something yeah. shots. Um, like, you know, that's it's tough when your your margin for error is oh shit I gave up one. Oh, I lost? Damn. Um, and that could have happened to Jari last night, all the same. Yeah, correct. This, this, um, is, that a, lineup. this, this is a different team than last year. They've, whatever Sullivan is selling, they've bought in. Yeah. And they um, didn't buy in last year, quite clearly. I I don't know. I'm I'm torn on that. I think the, the roster is... is um, they got rid of some of the dead weight. It's faster, defensive which players. helps. Um, the return to speed uh, certainly helps. Uh, Jack Johnson, for much of the year, being in a bottom pairing, not being forced minutes. Good Branson not being there. Pedersen with Schultz. Um, so Schultz isn't like totally being destroyed. I know things change with all the injuries they have. I think somebody tweeted out that the Penguins... Uh, Salary cap for last night's game was like $43 million. Jesus. Hey, isn't, so, that, isn't that below the minimum? Yeah, so... How are you allowed to ice a team that low? No, I well, they're they're not... Um, it's just the ridiculousness of how... Yeah. I just laugh. I just think that's hilarious. It's like, sorry, they're how cheap? That's below the minimum here. Come on. Because you take Malkin's nine and a half out. He's not on injured reserve. Yeah, I know. It's just Stuff that's like ridiculous that, so. the number, isn't it? It's crazy. Um, you know, and the way the year was going, I like Malkin out for an illness. Oh, shit, does he have AIDS? Like, what's going on? It's been a really bad year for injuries. Another spider bite. <laughs> Another spider bite. Um, it's it's just been really rough. and They've done a great job, better than I thought they were going to do. And a lot of that is um, they're a better defensive team. And I, I don't think it's an accident that they got guys that could skate. Um, Tanev is a part of that. Contract aside, Tanev, fast, good defensive player. Um, you're able to close gaps and, and take away time and space for it's, teams it, to do stuff. It's interesting for me because they're a good defensive team and they press right from the start. Like, they are in your face on the forecheck. They don't let you really exit the zone Easily when they get a chance. If they can go two men deep, they do. Which is the kind of the complete reverse of the Islanders, who are considered a good defensive team, but they really sit back. They they sink in around the house and, and block a lot of shots and then nail you on the counter-attack. So it, it is interesting that Sullivan went, and, and obviously you know the general manager went, all right, let's get back to speed and let's press. Let's make people make errors in their own zone and then bank on our talent to be able to make quick bang-bang plays on those areas to score. Whereas it felt like last year they worked out they weren't as fast and tried to do the whole let's sink in around the house and we don't have players that, that play that way. 
So it's it's an interesting development this year to see they went back to the whole speed, speed, speed. And it does make you scratch your head in regards to, so why did they move away from speed, speed, speed? Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, we can have our theories about that. But, um, Said, oh. you know, you're, you're throwing Matt Cullen's corpse out there in a defensive role and he can't skate. Yeah, I know. So you, you kind of have to adjust the, the tools you've been given. I fully understand that. But And it, it, and it sucks criticizing that player because I really thought he was part of why they were good uh, in the renaissance of 2015-16. But, you know, he's 42. <laughs> I don't feel too bad. Like, his career was pretty great for being the kind of player he was. I was going to say, but, you man, know, it's just the reality of that year. It was like that was one year too many. It's okay to say that. <laughs> it was probably two years too many, but the the other one being in Minnesota really didn't, uh, well, didn't hurt the Penguins. impact the Penguins. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, and the nice thing... You know, people, again, Jim Rutherford having a good year. And it's like, you know, how many of these GMs can afford to totally screw up and and be able to to redeem themselves? Because this is the second rotation of this. Because when Rutherford first got here, it wasn't very good. And then that summer with the Kessel trade and everything and Benino and Colin, uh, Eric Fair w- w- was... Um, yeah, Hagelin came later. Uh, and then the Cups, and then they get away from it. And now they're going back to it. And it just goes back to, you know, I will never not. I will never dismiss this part about the Penguins' GM job. He has the core players, and he's had goaltending that he hasn't had to chase. He's never had to find a goalie. He you just, know, it's just, been a matter of choosing which one, he just, but he's never had to acquire one. He just throws it against the wall and whatever sticks he'll decide to do. And a couple of years was, let's get big. You can always tinker when Crosby, Malkin, Latang, and a goalie's there. It does kind of help a little bit, doesn't it? <laughs> like, you're not chasing the hard-to-get pieces, so you're allowed your f- ability to fuck up is a lot greater than some of these other teams where even one of these faux pas can set the thing on fire. So how does he get such a long leash in Carolina? No one gives a shit about hockey there. Did it on a budget. I suppose it's the budget thing for the owner. It's like with with coaches. Coaches can go in, completely blow up a team, it just fails for them, and then never get another chance because it was such a disaster. And general managers, it feels like there's a pool of general managers and they just kind of get rotated over and over and over again. And it's like, okay, I get it. They're the people that make all the big decisions for the hockey side of things. Owners will get there and go, well, I want somebody with experience, so that's why they go that way. But I just, I don't get how he had such a long leash. And I get it in Pittsburgh because, like you said, he's tinkering. He's not chasing the big parts so he's he's like the mechanic at the local garage that just kind of does brakes and stuff like that (laughs) like he's not redoing transmissions and shit well he put the brakes on the team for a couple of years that's for sure (laughs) sorry um but you know the moves have been better this this time around but i think um he's in a unique position that afforded him to 
go back to that, and a lot of GMs aren't as lucky. So I'm not as um, inclined to, you know, praise um, what I think is a relatively easy situation relative to the rest of the league. And, yeah, that's never going to change for me. So No, I agree. I, I think he's made more mistakes than successes, I reckon. And I say that because when you make a mistake and then make up for it, I class that as a neutral. Do you know what I, I mean? mean? Galchenyuk's going to be another, a quite, in my opinion, Bugstad too. Another one of those players that you acquire and get rid of within a year. Yeah, and so, a lot of these guys are not rentals. So say he acquires, say he wins the acquisition of Galchenyuk for whoever comes back the other way, right? That's I. You can't. I, that doesn't balance out the Kessel for Galchenyuk. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, it's just yeah. Yeah, I know Kessel's not having a wonderful year there, but he's also not on the Penguins. It does. It does make a difference. And and the Penguins' power play is shit. So, you know. Yeah, I, they're not a better team for having moved Phil. Actually, it's it's interesting. You know how with um, Bukestad and McCann, they were in the same trade, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So it it, it seems very interesting to me that Bukestad will be the one that leaves the team. It's just like Hosa and Dupuy. Um, well, yes, yes, however, I'm with you, how, outside of the Hall of Fame Hosa however, comparison to Nick Bukestad. Correct. But, okay. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm with you. <laughs> I knew what I was going to say, I'm going to say, well, hang on a second, one's a Hall of Famer and one is a big No, the, the complimentary piece ends up being the... The one that sticks. The thing that, that sticks, and, you know, I thought McCann was the clever one of that part of that trade it was the steel like part. that trade's not a bad trade it's just another example of the broussard trade didn't work uh you poured assets into that they poured more draft picks into the florida thing uh bugstad's really kind of been blah uh he's I, probably going to be out the door i expected more from him but i think that was the problem with him in florida florida i think he's been exactly the player yeah, that he's always I, been i thought maybe get him around a little bit more talent and he'd you know, expand his game a little bit more, and it looks like he's well, going to, and then nothing really ever happens. There is one more thing, and that is have McCann be the third-line center and see what Bugstad can do on the right wing in the top six role. I don't think he's quick enough, and I think that's what maybe, does he need. Maybe not, but that's if you're going through different uh, options for outcomes, I think you're you're looking at that being... Uh, kind of the last yeah. of them. Yeah, that's it. Because I can't see him skating quick enough to keep up with the puck with Crosby and Malkin as his center. And, and, and what makes it even tougher is Brian Rust is playing great hockey. Uh, Patrick Hornquist is still on the right wing. And um, gosh, who am I? Am, am I leaving off a right wing? Uh, Gensel or is he a left wing? I can never remember. He's mostly on the left side. He can do... Um, the right side, I guess Dominic Cahoon, who's been pretty good in his own right after a very, very slow start. That hasn't helped uh, Bukestad's cause, cool the fact that Cahoon is is producing probably what they were hoping for. If he does this the rest of the year, they'd be very happy with that. Well, here's the thing. 
So, speaking of right wings, I think they could probably use a more offensively minded one. And, you know, Brian Rust is shooting 15%. It's above his career average by 5% about. Um, even if he regresses, though, like, he's still um, having a really good year. And he he's fast, and he's a, a good contributor so far. Um, it's It's been nice to have him. You know, Hornquist is a wild card. Um, he just, you know, he was scoring some good five-on-five goals this year, uh, something that was a problem last year. But, again, he's he's out. And I don't know how much you can rely on him to stay healthy for stretches of time. So um, Penguins play the Kings tomorrow. I was going to say, how do you get to, how do you get Tyler to follow? Um, well, that's that's an interesting question, and he's a pending UFA. Money's a non-issue because they got rid of Goodbranson, and, and they ha- I, I'm guessing they're going to bail on Galchenyuk at some point. I think that's pretty clear. One for one it. One for one it. <laughs> Not well, yeah. <laughs> um, so L.A. has a wonderful farm system, one of the better ones from what I've read. They're in a really kind of weird spot waiting for these kids. I don't think they're going to want a rental. I don't think they're making a you know, any kind of short-term run here, uh, probably would want to add to those, those futures. And, you know, I suppose it would depend on conversations about an extension versus a rental. And he seems like the kind of player that it's a nice plan B. If, if Taylor Hall is your plan A, and you're looking for scoring wingers. Uh, Tyler Toffoli has quite, um, in my opinion, an impressive background since he he was full-time in 2013-14, so the second L.A. Cup. He's been a possession monster his whole career. He's always above 50 and and honestly closer to 55% most years. So my my question Uh, here is he's 27, he's going to want to raise... And you get hit 27, you're almost starting to hit the downward turn because this sport is brutal. You hit 27, if you're not a superstar, you start to hit that downward slide in your your actual output. So he might be a possession monster, but you're going to get enough return for physical points for what he's going to want to get paid. Yeah, um, well, in four of the last seven years, has points per 60 is over 2.0 that's good and the fit the fifth year is 1.7 he's at 2.04 this year now he's had two dud years at like 1.3 and 1.2 i would say we know la was an offensive wasteland and there is definitely some of that that needs to be considered um his relative possession has always been positive. So not only is it he's pushing 55% possession most years, um, that is positive relative to his team. It's not just I'm on the Kings, who were a terrific possession team for a long time. It's He's not 
raw possession numbers good, negative, relative kind of deal. Yeah. He's he's on the good end of a good number. And um, his expected goals for this year is 56.84. Yeah, okay. He's, he's, quite frankly, when I look at that kind of stuff, would fit in quite well with how the Penguins are playing and would add a little bit of offensive pizzazz that they might need because, quite frankly, the way I look at this, um, there are many ways to build teams, and the 2015-16 one was one of my favorite ones, uh, but they don't have a Phil Kessel to put on a third line anymore. Yeah, that's true. I think you load up two scoring lines and you ride the fact that they're a really good defensive team. The two scoring lines should be enough to carry the offensive load most nights. And your your complementary players should be able to give enough. That like the Dominic Dominic Cahoons, uh Jared McCann on a third line, uh Patrick Hornquist on a third line. That feels more reasonable like minutes-wise as well, because yeah. he should be able to handle the load. So, I think adding someone like a Toffoli is not an absurd notion. It's just, it's. I guess it matters what the Kings are going to want. Are they going to want a first-round pick? Well, um, like you said, give up quite, the first-round pick. Quite frankly, yeah, doesn't matter. I'll I'll give up a first round pick to rent to Foley. I would do it now. My I suppose my concern to get your to get your money. Yeah, here. my concern with to Foley that I was bringing up earlier. I just realized it doesn't really matter anyway because it's the back end of his contract that's an issue. And by then, this team's toast anyway because he's six years younger than Malcolm. He's same argument I made for correct. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. So you just get there and go as long as you can fit what the number he wants in the cap. And you can still have a team around that high number, so you're not having to offload assets and bring in worse assets to, to fill the bottom half of the roster. You do it, and, and like you said, like with Galchenyuk being an expiring contract, you don't have to worry about that for 2020, 2021, and beyond. Um, you'd let Schultz walk. You'd try to remove the Johnson contract, and, and you've got a shitload of space that you can use to, to re-sign him. And still be able to sign guys like McCann and and Cahoon and, and and guys like that who are RFAs anyway, so they don't have a lot of leverage in what they want. The the team can still be all right for yet another run and a little bit deeper, considering that Malkin and Crosby will yet again will end the tank, be a year older and a year past their prime. And and you can always send Murray to arbitration to not get tied into a long-term deal there. Yeah, correct. If you are concerned about Honestly, consistency. Honestly, at this point, I'm taking him to arbitration. Every, every goalie has a flat spot in their year where it just goes to the pack. And usually the goalies that have the smallest flat spot are the ones that win the Vezina. But Murray hasn't had a full year of being a number one starter and hasn't run a full playoffs as the number one starter. Him and Fleury did both years as a tandem. So if you're, uh, if you're Pittsburgh... 15-16, you... Jari, I think, played game one because Fleury was concussed. Oh, that's right. Um, and I think Murray did do that run, but certainly... The Penguins do not win without Fleury's play against the Capitals in the other year. That's for damn sure. So, he was your Pittsburgh, you have a legit there. argument to go to Arb, I reckon. Like, you shouldn't... 
you know, Murray can be going, well, F that, but it's like... And that's and that's to, to use your leverage with him as an RFA, not get tied into a shitty goalie contract. You learn another year about yeah. him. Yep. I think that's the, the play. I wouldn't offer him an extension. Yeah, I don't trust Rutherford um, not to give well, him five well, years by 5.5, so... Well, that that would be fine. I think that 7.58 is the... You know, I don't know. Five five point five for a number one goalie when you you only what I think you should only be playing a number one goalie fifty games a year anyway means that you need a backup that theoretically yeah, 5. Gets, 5 is a reason theoretically gets paid only six hundred seventy five thousand like Jerry is at the moment <laughs> uh, and yeah. it, and he's quite literally bailing a team out that theoretically should be riding Matt Murray right now because of everybody else that's mm-hmm. out injured so. I just I get there and I cringe at that five point five number because that's what Fleury got signed for and it kind of put him in a spot because as much as I love him he's inconsistent at times and can tank a year. Mm-hmm. Well, so while while you were um, talking a little bit about that, I was looking up Toffoli's like career um, things and I think this, he's making four point six right now. I don't know. I think six is probably reasonable for an extension uh, his points are 29 49 58 34 doesn't which tells me he's not doing a lot of power play stuff if his points per 60 is two. above two most years yeah okay that's so these point totals now for contracts look low if they're five on five numbers it's actually pretty decent well i was literally going to say that felt too low for me, for a six mil a year contract, even with no, I, I'm just throwing no, that no, number no. out there. As even with the... even with the salary cap going up, but then when you mention that it looks like they're basically five on five numbers, he gets no power play time. Well, you know that's what you're getting out of him because he's going to get no power play time in Pittsburgh anyway, with the way the roster's currently set up. So he might get you know. All right, in his in his career, he has. 28 power play goals and 20 power play assists. So 48 out of his 273 are power play. He's so getting no minutes. His numbers yeah. are five on five. I think I think this can play in Pittsburgh's favor. As sometimes we look at the raw point totals and don't actually account for the how valuable certain points are, being the the even strength well, ones. Well, that's. This this is a guy who's producing at even strength. This is a guy you're going to throw with Sid um, or Gino. So that, you know, I assume it will be Gino because Sid's going to take Gensel back would be my prediction. Um, mm. But yes, you are right. I, I'm fine with that as long as they give Malkin something so he can continue to do the cool things he's doing now. Um. You can't just leave them bare. It's one of those things with contract negotiations. It legitimately feels like general managers are going to stick with the raw point totals, but the player managers are obviously trying to get possession numbers and stuff into the negotiating stance for the obvious reasons that a guy like Tafali would be at the forefront of. He gets more than two points per 60 minutes at five on five, he's worth the value because you play five on five more often than you do everything else. Whereas the general manager, yeah, but he's only scoring 48 points a year. So. Well, it's, it's it's tougher to do when you're not 
you know, only doing it on the power yeah, play. Yeah, correct. Um, he's he's right-handed. I like that. Yes, that's um, right. He's a good. To be truth be told, um, one of the blinders I have in this league the last few years are the L.A. Kings because I they were horrible to watch. So, yeah, you don't go out of your way. <laughs> Maybe, you know, I don't know how he is on the power play. I do know he's right-handed, and they kind of could use a forward who's right-handed. And can actually pass through They the can same. handle the puck a little yeah. bit. Um, don't know if that is, um, you know, a primary option. But, again, my, my primary goal for this whole winger idea that stemmed from, you know, Taylor Hall Evgeny Malkin is showing you he is still damn good. He's like second in the league in points per 60 at almost 4.0. <laughs> He's a shade under. This is like prime yeah. Gino numbers. This is MV- I know the sample's not like a full year, this but is MVP, like, come on. Gino. <laughs> And it's because he's playing with Latang and Gensel. So are you really going to pull the rug from out under him yes. and be like... Yes, they are. Well, no, they don't have to. They can do something like this and, and give him a little raw meat to keep I never said they had to. I'm just saying they will. I, I mean, the Latang thing's a foregone conclusion. I, I That's not happening. That is, Sid is going to get Latang no matter what. The question is... If they do a winger trade, it does open the door for at least Gensel to stay with Malkin if Sid gets an, a new toy. Quick question. Would you, seeing as Marino's playing okay with Latang, right? Would you, when Dunwin comes back, pairing with Schultz, therefore Gino doesn't have to deal with... Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. Yeah. No, no, I would leave. I'd leave Dumoulin with. Um, uh, I see what you're you know saying. You know what I mean? I, like I, that. In, that... My, in my head, I I forgot that Pedersen is the Schultz. Uh, yeah. So, so you... or maybe I go Pedersen, Marino. Yeah. You see, I I think the reason that the Marino Latang thing works is that they kind of seem to complement each other. In that Marino still makes rookie mistakes. Absolutely. I'm I'm fine with trying it. Don't get yeah. me wrong. I, I'm open to that. I've you know I've said in the past that you know if Dumoulin's as good as the consensus, he he's going to have to show me sometimes that he can do it away from Latang. Yeah, I just I just think Latang is playing so well with Marino at the moment. Like he's killing it. Yeah, he still has his blunders that are so egregious that people say he's shit. But the pucks on his stick so often, it's bound to happen. Um, I, I just yeah when he when he when he makes a mistake they're, it's, they're not small <laughs> it's not it's not easily forgotten no but the, the thing um, is that you get the guy okay so that's working at the moment so you bring Dumoulin back you just pair him with Schultz Schultz might get a little more aggressive because of the trust Dumoulin seems to give to his partner then you get a little bit more out of Schultz that's all I, I just it's one of those things where. Uh, so we got um, Pedersen Johnson. That I'm happy with that. Yeah, fuck. You it. know, I mean, I'd prefer it not to be Johnson. Yeah, but you know, truth be told, to, to Jack Johnson, I don't think he's good, but he's having a better year. Legitimately, this yeah. isn't last year. Oh, he changed sides and look at how much. But no, he sucked all last year, and he was a fucking brutal yeah. player. So um, it's just I. I 
if they can get fucking healthy, they've got tools that they can move around on the back six that because you know you're gonna you know what you get from Dumoulin and Latang, right? You get them back together anytime you want. But you, you you're yes. thirty games into the year, you've got fifty to go. You might as well try a few things when you get all your toys back just to see what works and you might who knows, you might strike magic like you have with oh well you're gonna strike magic when you've got Latang, Malkin and Gensel playing together, but you know what I mean. You've got to try and find something so you can get the most out of Crosby and Malkin at the same time. That's that's the path forward. Them two firing on all cylinders with good help. Very solid uh, third line and a fourth line. Um, you know, Zach Aston Reese is among the best defensive players on the team this year. So oh, I wasn't expecting that. You, when you when you're no no, but it's it is the truth and. When you're talking about Tanev and, and, and Zach Aston Reese playing, uh, contributing in that kind of way on a fourth line, that's so much better than it than it was when they departed from their four scoring line approach and really just went back to almost the later stage Cheryl Bilesma years. Yeah, that was ugly to watch. So, you know, those are just things to keep track of. Uh, the Penguins have cap space, so they can definitely be players on the trade market where maybe some of these other teams that are trying to make deals have to clear space and might um, might make it a little bit more complicated for other teams. And the Penguins might just be sitting there, hey, we can make this deal right now. We don't have to give you a bad asset in return. We can take we can take on that contract and and. You know, that's a built-in advantage of getting rid of and that's why the Gabranson contract always sucked. It was eating cap space and limiting their flexibility, and, and it's gone. And, you know, they got rid of it for seventh-round pick. Should have never been there, but it is gone now, and it does allow them some flexibility. I think Tyler Toffoli um, can be part of that conversation. They could make so. the trade in the next month, which would be great, because then I can watch the new person play against Tampa in February. So if they can do it soonish, we're good. And Rutherford doesn't usually deadline deal anyway. He usually goes early. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think he, he, he'll he deal whenever, <laughs> to be, yeah, a, to be absolutely. honest. Um, I, I do think he has a preference of not... Um, doing his heavy lifting at the deadline, though. No, usually the big stuff happens before that. Although he's done some doozies um, deadline day. So he does his good work away the from the deadline. Being, the latest one being Good Branson. Uh, traded away Dupre. Uh, still don't like that one, even though you know his career got totally railroaded by concussions. Um, Ron Hainsey. Uh, you know, say what you will, they won the cup, but he, <laughs> that top, it's a quote unquote top pairing with Tumalin was low 40s possession. It was, was tough. PDO driven success that time around. So, <laughs> um, you know, those are all things we've discussed ad nauseum over the course of time, so don't want to really rehash a lot of that. Um, but I'm out of things to talk about this week. So what? Cool. All right. It's the 13th. We should should be able to get one in before Christmas, I think. 
Hopefully. So, enjoy Friday the 13th, full moon, no less, over oh, Jesus here. Jesus Christ. Dangerous? Yep. So, um, thank you for supporting us, um, and we will see you next time. See you, guys.